Unity, Weta, and Faceless Platforms was published on Thursday, November 18th, 2021. At the beginning of a video announcing Unity's acquisition of Weta Digital, Peter Jackson, filmmaker extraordinaire and the founder of Weta, and Prem Akaraju, the CEO of Weta Digital, explained why they were excited to hand Weta Digital over. Beyond, of course, the $1.63 billion. We knew that digital effects offered so much possibility for us to be able to create the worlds and the creatures that we were imagining. Now we're taking those tools that we have created and handing them over to Unity to market them for the entire world. Well, together, Unity and Weta Digital can create a pathway for any artist in any industry who will now be able to leverage these incredible creative tools. The creation, development, and now sell of Weta Digital is a great example of how the ideal approach to innovation in an emerging field changes over time. Understanding that journey also explains why Unity is a great home for Weta. Weta's integrated history. Peter Jackson has said that he was inspired to start Weta Digital after seeing Jurassic Park and realizing that CGI was the future of movies. The first movie Weta worked on was Heavenly Creature, which Jackson says didn't even need CGI from an oral history of Weta Digital. But we used the film as an excuse to buy one computer just to put our toe in the water. And we had a guy who could figure out how to work it, and we got a couple of bits of software, and we did the effects on Heavenly Creatures really just for the sake of doing some CGI effects, just so we'd actually start to figure it out. And then on The Frighteners, which was the next movie, we went from one computer, Heavenly Creatures, we, I think we, we went to 30 computers on that movie. Um, and, you know, so it was a pretty big, pretty big jump. Weta, as you would expect given how NASA and computer graphics were, was integrated from top to bottom. Jackson's team didn't make software to make graphics for Jackson's films. Jackson actually made a scene in a film that needed graphics to give his team a reason to get started on making software. That bet paid off a few years later when Weta played a pivotal role in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The feedback loop between movie making and software development was tight in a way that is only possible with a fully integrated approach, resulting in dramatic improvements from film to film. Jackson said of Gollum. For the first movie, in the first Lord of the Rings film, Fellowship of the Ring, which got Gollum's in about two shots. And that Gollum is completely different to the Gollum that's in um, the next film, the, the Two Towers. The Fellowship of the Ring Gollum is pretty gnarly, pretty crude. It was as good as we could do at that time, and we had to have something in the movie, but we put him in very deep shadow. And that was on purpose, because he didn't look very good. But nonetheless, we ran out of time, and that was what we had to have in the movie. But we still had another year to get him really good for the Two Towers, where he, he was in you know, half the film. So that the Two Towers Gollum, which is a complete overhaul of you know, that, that finally got, got to the place that we wanted him to go. Over the intervening years, though, Weta gradually branched out, working on films beyond Jackson's personal projects, including Avatar and Avengers. This, too, made sense. Developing software is both incredibly capital-intensive and benefits from high rates of iteration. That means there's both an economic motive to serve more customers, increasing the return on the initial investment, and a product motive, since every time the software is used, there is the potential for improvement. Still, software development and software application were still integrated, because there is so much improvement to be had. Jackson again. I know that Weta Digital has written about 100 pieces of code for a wide variety of different things. And it sort of it drives me a little bit crazy because we, we keep writing code for the same things every time. Like we do Avatar um, you know, a few years ago and we wrote software to create grass and you know trees, leaves that can blow and, and the wind and all this sort of stuff. And then I, you know, I come along... In with the Hobbit, and well, and I want some grass and some shots and some trees. So I can't, you know, why can't we use the stuff that we wrote, wrote for Avatar? Oh no, no, no. I mean, it was fine for that film, but we want it to be to, to be a better. I mean, there's some sort of code and unspoken code where you. It's not not, not anything to do with 
the ownership of the software because it belongs to us. We can certainly use it, but the guys themselves, they, they don't, they want to do everything better than they did the last time. So they don't want the avatar grass or the leaves. They want to do grass and leaves better, better than last time. And they said about writing all new grass software, all new leaf software. It happens over and over again all the time. But what is interesting though is that in that same oral history, Jackson starts to signal that the plane of improvement was starting to shift. He says at the end. We, we live in an age where everything is possible, really, in, with computer CGI. You know, there's nothing that you cannot imagine in your head or read on a script or whatever that you can't actually, you know, do now. You know, when it was in the old days, in the old days, when about 20 years ago when things were starting out, you know, it was hard to do water, hard, hard to do fur. You know, there were certain sort of things that were just uh, not really easy to do well. But um, now it's just everything is possible. So really what, you're, what you've got now is you've simply got faster and cheaper. In terms of computers, you know, every year they get cheaper and they get twice as fast. And so when you're doing visual effects, it's like any form of filmmaking. You often want to take two, take three, take four. You know, you do you do the fire shot with all the flames once and, you know, you've got to set your CGI flames and, you know, you're not necessarily going to get it looking great on the first take. So it's good to have a, you know, you have to have a second go and maybe a third go, maybe a fourth go. So so when you've actually got computers that are getting quicker and faster, you know, it gives you more goes at doing this stuff. So ultimately you get a, a better looking um, result. Notice the transition here. At the beginning, everything was integrated from the movie shot to the development process to the software to the individual computer. See image. Over the ensuing 28 years, though, each of these pieces has been broken off and modularized, increasing the leverage that can be gained from the software itself. Unity's approach of selling tools to the world is the logical endpoint. Unity's modular history. When 3D games first became possible in the 1990s, 3D game engines were developed for a specific game. The most famous developer was id Software, which was founded in 1991, and id's most famous engine was built for its Quake series of games. id's rival was Epic, which built the Unreal Engine for Unreal Tournament. These were integrated efforts. The engine was built for the game, and the game was built for the engine. Once development was completed, then the engine was made available to other developers to build their own games, without having to recreate all the work that it or Epic had already done. Unity, though, was different. Its founders started with the express goal of democratizing game development. The company's only game, Gooball, was intended as a proof of concept. It also, like Unity, only ran on the Mac, which wasn't a great recipe for commercial success in the games business. That all flipped in 2008, though, with the opening of the iPhone App Store. That was one of the greatest gold rushes of all time, and a tool at home on Apple's technologies was particularly well-placed to profit. Unity was off to the races, quickly becoming the most used engine on iOS specifically and mobile gaming broadly, a position it still holds today. 71% of the top 1,000 mobile games in the market run on Unity, and over 3 billion people play games it powers. Mobile was a perfect opportunity for Unity for reasons that went beyond its Apple roots. Phones, particularly back then were dramatically underpowered relative to PCs with dedicated graphics cards. That meant that the primary goal for an engine was not to produce cutting-edge graphics, but to deliver good enough graphics in a power-constrained environment. Moreover, most of the developers taking advantage of the mobile opportunity were small teams and independents. They couldn't afford the big PC engines even if they could fit in an iPhone's power envelope. Unity, though, wasn't just Apple-friendly, but also built from the ground up for independent developers, both in terms of usability and also pricing. Over time, as mobile gaming has become the largest part of the market, and as the power of mobile phones has grown, Unity has grown its capabilities and performance. The company has made increasing inroads into console and PC gaming, albeit mostly with casual games, and has invested significantly in virtual reality. What remains a constant, though, is Unity's position as a developer's partner, not a competitor. Unity's business model. This has opened up further opportunities for Unity. It turned out that mobile gaming had a completely different business model than PC or console gaming as well which traditionally sold a game for a fixed price. 
Mobile, though, thanks to its always-connected nature and massive market size, moved towards a combination of advertising and in-app purchases. Unity found itself perfectly placed to support both. First, all mobile game developers had the same problem that Unity could solve once and make available to all of its customers. And second, advertising in particular requires far more scale than any one game developer could build on its own. Unity, though, could build an advertising market across all of the games it supported, which again was most of them, and its customers could rely on Unity knowing that their interests were aligned. If developers made money, Unity made money. Today, it is actually Unity's operate solutions, including its advertising network and in-app purchase support, plus other services like hosting and multiplayer support that makes up 65% of Unity's revenue. Create Solutions, which is primarily monetized via a SaaS subscription to Unity's development tools, is only 29%. The latter, though, is an on-ramp to the former. CEO John Riccatello said on Unity's most recent earnings call. We can hook them at the artist level when they're just building out their first visual representation of what they want to do. Um, we can hook them lots of different ways. And at Unity, it almost always seems the same. They start as a, you know, some sort of a experimental customer doing not a lot. And then we get inside and they do a lot more. And then they do a lot more. Then they write our big, big, bigger contracts to start moving more of our services. Um, I mean, it sounds, I would hate to say this to our customers, although they know it. Um, land and expand is like endemic to Unity. It's, it's, it's exactly what we're doing. This has resulted in a net expansion rate of 142%. That means that Unity has negative churn because its existing customers increase their spending with Unity so substantially. I love a good cohort analysis, and Unity had a great one in their S1. See chart. This shows just how important it is that Unity's tools attract customers. The company has the ability to grow revenue from its existing customers indefinitely. The primary limiting factor to the company's growth rate is how many new customers it can bring on board. Enter Weta. Unity plus Weta. It is striking how the fundamental strengths and weaknesses of Weta and Unity are mirror images of each other. Weta has cutting-edge technology, but it's only available to Weta. Unity's technology, meanwhile, continues to improve, but its biggest asset is the number of developers on its platform and integration with all the other components a developer needs to build a business. What you see in this acquisition, then, is the intersection of these two paths. Weta's software is increasingly mature and ready to be productized and leveraged across as many customers who wish to use it. Unity's developer offering is increasingly full-featured and only limited by its ability to acquire new customers. The logic should be obvious. Weta increases Unity's market from not just developers but to artists, who can be plugged into Unity's land and expand model. Weta, meanwhile, immediately gains leverage on all the investment it has made in its software tools. See chart. There is also a third path flowing through this intersection, the convergence and increase of computing power across devices of all size. Unity benefited at the beginning from serving an underpowered mobile market. Weta, in contrast, was so limited by underpowered computers that its developers had to be tightly integrated with artists to make things that were never before possible. Today, though, phones and computers are increasingly comparable in power to the benefit of Unity. From Weta's perspective, that power makes it possible to use its tools iteratively, lowering the learning curve and increasing the market of artists who can figure them out on their own. That's why Unity leapt at this opportunity. CEO John Riccatello told me in an interview. It's an incredible opportunity for the world's artists to get to something that you know, this this incredible collection of tools that they're going to want to use. And they're going to want to use it in the film industry. But, you know, we've got thousands of, of engineers inside of Unity, and we're going to work at making these tools. Um, some of them already are real-time and they're usable in a video game. Make most all of them real-time. So they can be used in video games, but they can be used in many vertical um, industry circumstances, whether it's the auto industry for car configurators or design or architecture, engineering, construction, or in digital twins. And so there's these tools are um, pretty darn amazing. And 
you know, I'm proud that we were able to come to an agreement with with Peter and the team around him. And I'm also excited by the prospect of bringing these tools to a global marketplace. But what I would tell you is this, this is one of those things where you write down the strategy, pursue the strategy, and then there's something that accelerates you multiple years. And this is exactly that. We're, we're, we're thrilled. It's going to take time to see all this come to fruition. And there are obvious challenges in bringing together two companies that are so different. It is precisely those differences, though, that make this acquisition so compelling. Faceless platforms. One additional point. To me, the most analogous company to Unity is not Epic, its biggest competitor in the game engine business, but TSMC. TSMC, like Unity, was built from the beginning to be a partner to chip designers, not a competitor, in large part because the company had no other route to market. In the process, though, TSMC democratized chip development and then, with the rise of smartphones, gained the volume necessary to overtake integrated competitors like Intel. By 2019, it was TSMC that was the first to bring chips to market based on extreme ultraviolet lithography technology. EUV was devilishly difficult and exceptionally expensive, requiring not just years of development by ASML, but also customers like Apple willing to pay for the absolute most cutting-edge chips at massive volume. Now TSMC is the most advanced fab in the industry and the 10th most valuable company in the world, and absent geopolitical risk, a clear winner in a world increasingly experienced via technology. The ultimate manifestation of that is the metaverse, and here Unity is particularly well-placed. NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang at last week's GTC keynote described today's web as being 2D and the future as being 3D, and now Unity owns the best 3D tools in the world. More importantly, unlike metaverse aspirants like Facebook or Microsoft, Unity isn't competing for end users, which means it can partner with everyone building those new experiences, including Facebook and Microsoft and Apple, just as TSMC can build chips for everyone, even Intel. It is companies like Unity and TSMC. Other examples include Stripe or Shopify or the public clouds that are the most important to the future. The most valuable prize in technology has always been platforms. But in the beginning era of technology, the most important platforms were those that interface directly with users. In technology's middle era, the most important platforms will be faceless, empowering developers and artists and creators of all types to create completely new experiences on top of the best technology in the world created and maintained and improved on by companies that aren't competing with them, but partnering to achieve the scale necessary to accelerate the future. The Daily Update is intended for a single recipient, but occasional forwarding is totally fine. If you'd like to order multiple subscriptions for your team with a group discount, please contact me directly. Thanks for being a subscriber and have a great day.